0: Hi, I'm Timothy Maurice, a behavioral psychology author and podcaster. And I've partnered with the IAEOZ movement to bring you the best human potential ideas in our ecosystem, in our resource ecosystem to help the US and the global community experience what our founder calls sort of the rebirth of a nation. And today I am delighted to welcome in the professor of the Practice and Sustainable Finance at UNC Keenan's Flagler Business School, Jeannie Malcolm Bonds. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, happy to be here.
0: Well, we have a lot in common. And one of those things is Chapel Hill. You know, my uncle is a judge in that area. I don't know if you know him, Judge Joe Webster. Have you heard of him?
1: Yes, absolutely. I used to work at the courts at one time.
0: <laughs> oh, small world, such a small world. I'm trying to get him to come to South Africa, by the way. Hopefully we'll have him here soon. You have did your undergraduate work and your graduate work at UNC. Tell us a little bit about your education in the investment space.
1: Yes, yes, so I'm a native of Wilmington, North Carolina, born and raised in North Carolina. I went to UNC Chapel Hill undergrad in economics and graduate in public policy and public administration. And um, I really became interested in sustainable finance um, because I've worked at nonprofits. I also worked at the Central Bank of the United States, the Federal Reserve. So I've spent most of my career in community development. And one of the cornerstones of that is the Community Reinvestment Act which was passed in 1977. And so some of my early work experience um, was around challenges um, with the financial institutions around the Community Reinvestment Act and then figuring out how to get the banks to invest and lend in communities and then how to leverage those investments with philanthropic sources um, and grants and others. So that's really how I came into this space of so the economics background the public policy background I spent some time in DC and CRA when you pull all that together um, it creates this space where to me it's just very vital for communities in order to get ahead and sustain and be resilient to learn how what how, what those sources of capital are and how you layer it and leverage that capital I
0: mean you are, you know, with an economics degree, you could have gone in many different directions in your career. And I'm sure you do really well financially, but you could have gone in a career direction where you could have made a lot more money. Why have you chosen this career field?
1: Um, I really, I, I also served as an elected official in a community um, and as a mayor. Um, so I just, from a pretty early age, probably starting actually in middle school. <laughs> I always ran for office in school. all oh, the way really? through. Oh, So wow. I, I probably fifth, sixth grade, I did some canvassing for a candidate running for office before I think canvassing was a word. And um, so I'm have always as far back as I can remember been about public service. Um, oh, wow. And so never been interested in that profit side, but more about how can I help people? How can I make communities better? How can I help people learn what I learn, even if they're not able to go to college? Um, So that's just something that's just a core value.
0: Well, let me just say, I appreciate the work you're doing. I appreciate how you've dedicated yourself and anchored yourself with such a phenomenal institution to make sure this work received the sort of attention. You know, There are a lot of people out there who want to make a difference, but they haven't formally, you know, put in the work that you've put in. So thank you. Let's talk a little bit about your invest to sustain initiative.
1: Yeah, so I um, I was working at the Federal Reserve uh, community development in a pretty large region that included North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, DC, um, and Maryland. And um, I really decided what I would be best at would be Um, taking everything i had learned in my career and teaching it to the next generation. Um, So I really wanted to go back to my institution and start teaching classes in the business school, as well as in public policy, um, based on things I had learned. That's why I'm a professor of the practice, um, to start to instill that in future generations. So the Invest to Sustain initiative is really about creating those curriculums back at the university. And the way we do that and engage the students is by having projects that we work on in North Carolina communities. So the students are learning it as well as working in the community. So for the past two summers, I've had 26 students in business, public policy, even public health, the medical school, the law school, work in a couple of distressed Rural communities in Eastern North Carolina um, and put what they're learning in practice. So that's really what um, the initiative is about.
0: Your background in collaboration is very rich. I believe collaboration, just about everything, starts with collaboration. We wouldn't have Apple computers. We wouldn't have much of anything. We wouldn't even have the women's empowerment movement. I think there was a wonderful collaboration that started the suffragette movement between a man and a woman. I love the fact that. With the right type of collaborators, you can get about just about anything done. Let's talk about the collaborative investment mindset from bringing banks together to, you know, private investors to all types of people that are interested. Share a little bit about what a collaborator should be thinking when they're looking at develop, going into a community like or thinking about social impact like an opportunity zone.
1: Yeah, so that that actually is the other foundational piece to the Invest to Sustain initiative is that you need different types of capital and you need all the different sectors at the table. So, you know, we talk about P3 investments where it's public, private, philanthropic. Um, that is also a cornerstone to it. So I think that the Community Reinvestment Act, again, really put this into play in the 70s that- Um, For banks, they're competitive. But when they approach Community Reinvestment Act activities, they actually get extra points um, or more consideration when they collaborate. And the banks actually like that because unlike their regular work, when they collaborate, they actually can reduce their risk. Um, So, again, it sort of it starts with that model. And um, when Opportunity Zones came about, it makes it even more critical because you're asking private investors to invest in these very distressed locations, high poverty rates, high unemployment rates, places where in many cases, not all cases, there's been Um, a lot less investment, Um, and so when when you're asking people to do that, the ability to leverage different types of capital and say, okay, philanthropy, if you put this money in and you, city put this money in, you can bring private investors in and everyone can benefit. So I think it's really about the risk um, in terms of the collaboratory model um, with OZ and impact investing but generally for community development to work, there's no way you can go into a community and there's no way a community can move itself from A to B to C without some level of collaboration. Cause you know, you need the schools at the table, you need yes. anchor institutions at the table, you need government, you need healthcare. I mean, we, we know that that concept of collective ambition, can we get everybody in their seat on the bus facing the same direction and the bus going in the same direction is really <laughs> critical to, to moving um, moving things forward. Um, my, my research colleague and I call that, you know, the glue and the grease. Um, so stick everybody there, but then move them forward. Um, so collective ambition is another part of that concept as well.
0: Yeah. And this part of the world, if you think about just how collaborators such as Nelson Mandela, you know, his, his ability to work with people from all different types of background to, re- to be able to drive change, it's, it's everything. Why aren't we advancing quicker? You've got some of the brightest minds. You've got researchers like yourself who are, have dedicated their career to this and educating people about investing for social impact. You look at opportunity zones, you look at the incentive models that we've developed at a very high level in government. Why aren't we developing faster?
1: Um, I think a lot of it has to do with, so at least I look at it from the perspective of, um, you know, say either rural areas or even distressed areas and cities. Um, Collectively, people in countries throughout the world, you know, are, are focused on, You know, progressing forward through technology advances, you know, in the case of the United States, principles of capitalism, and then not necessarily paying attention all the time as to how policies are going to affect areas that aren't pushing forward as quickly. You know, I think about NAFTA. I don't necessarily want to get into a conversation about NAFTA, but when NAFTA passed, it certainly had some big advantages, but what we didn't think through were the worker retraining that was needed. So then we left this whole segment of people behind that didn't get trained for the next generation of jobs. And so their lives changed dramatically um, because they didn't move along with that. And so I think that's what I think that's what happens is where we often have great ideas and we want to progress forward with new discoveries and new ways of doing things. But I think you have to really stop and think, OK, in this rural area, they're they're really living like life like it was at this time. So what's it going to take to move them forward? And then I, I think the other issue, at least in the United States, and this applies in other places, is. You've got to consider these historical issues. So in the United States, we had laws and policies and ordinances all the way down to the local level that were absolutely meant to exclude people um, from economic gain. I mean, they yeah. there's just there's no way about it, whether it's, you know, we think about Jim Crow laws, even down at the local level, ordinances around zoning um, or and the enforcement of ordinances separated people put people on this side of the railroad track versus this side and we're absolutely meant to exclude this group from being able to buy homes and this group so I think the other issue is you have to recognize that historical um, fact and then how can we correct that so that we can move um, people and communities forward
0: you know I've always thought about you know people like to go on and on about systemic issues, systemic racism, systemic, you know, for me, I've always looked at a little bit deeper and thinking about the substrate, how a civilization is designed from a policy perspective and to address the inequities. Sometimes you have to redesign the substrate or create systems that are favorable, that in parallel, look directly at the historical issues what type of systems can we design to expedite this growth? Um, Because it seems like if we just go about it in an organic, natural investment way, we're never going to catch up.
1: Mm -mm. No, we're not, because there's not enough people that recognize some of those structural disadvantages and and then how that manifested over time. So the way my research colleague and I who do a lot of work in the communities look at this is you've got to create equitable and inclusive um, communities. And that means simple things like a local government's procurement policy in this rural South, many times that procurement policy was based on a do-you-know system. So this Mm. family always got this contract because they were here and this is how it goes. How do you change those formulas so that they're more inclusive? And it doesn't just mean changing the policy. It means how do I then go to some businesses that were disadvantaged and train them on how they get into that system and can wow. respond to those procurement policies. So I think if you, and it's inclusive and equitable, it's, it's not just race, it's not just gender, it's LGBTQ, yes. it's yeah. veterans, it's people with disabilities, it's this broad, you know, they can contribute, they can start businesses, their businesses can be part of the ecosystem But they have to learn how to do that, and they have to be able to know how to get into systems that precluded them previously.
0: I mean, this is precisely why I wanted to speak to you. It is your understanding of systems. It's your understanding of policy and your understanding of how to bring the right people to the stage, to the table. And I really do believe, like our founder, Keith Moore, says that we can rebirth a nation, in a way, in a direct way that can inspire the world to really think differently if we listen to leaders and thinkers like you. Uh, Jeannie Bonds, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast.
1: Thank you. I enjoyed being here.
0: Cheers. All right. Let me stop it.